going. Hare Krishna, dear devotees. Uh, we're continuing this week's uh, reading on Swamiji or Brahmananda Prabhu's remembrance and some uh, some things that were obviously there but he uh, seems like he didn't remember uh, that here the author yeah he's the author um, then uh, What's his name? Satyaraj uh, Prabhu. Like he fills it in with some quotes, like from Satsuru Maharaj and so on. We're on the chapter entitled Dancing for the Swami, and it's just called Outdoor Kirtan. The first public kirtan session was in Washington Square Park in the heart of Greenwich Village. The Swami led them in the chanting as always, and his demonstrative followers showed marked enthusiasm for the holy name. I walked out to Thompson Square Park and uh, who's been there? walk out who put up their hand you put up your hand and uh, you walk out uh, it's not a big park uh, for Hungarians it's the size of the park going from Budapest Temple you go to that park where they have the uh, names of the Hershuk, Almos. Huh? No, I just had a, how you call somebody Almos. <laughs> but, yeah. And uh, interestingly, my, my grandparents never, never read anything, spoke of anything. Can you press the first button over there? Oh no, uh, just to fa turn it to two. Mm -hmm. uh, so, anyway, but you know, you know that square near the temple. It just it's just right on the other side of the railroad tracks. So it's not very big. One hectare. One acre. And uh, there's this tree, and uh, there's a plaque there saying, under this tree, his divine grace, I see Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. I could assume that tree has some spiritual lineage and uh, took birth here and heard the sound vibration of the pure devotee. He was essentially recreating Lord Chaitanya Sankirtan mission wherein 500 years earlier 
the Lord would roam India's countryside with his associates singing and dancing in ecstatic bliss. While Swamiji's followers loved the mantra, they cautiously embraced outside chanting, uncertain of how the public would respond. After all, this was not 16th century Bengal, but 20th century America. A handful of enthusiastic young men with hand symbols singing in a foreign tongue were a sight in the already colorful East Village. And what to speak of Swamiji with his orange robes and otherworldly demeanor? As would be expected in New York, certain onlookers shouted derogatory statements and even obscenities. By the time it was over, the devotees were happy to return to the temple, their respite from the material world. Their sense of caution in regards to chanting, quote-unquote, outside, and even the uncomfortable feeling of being heckled by rude people on the street would change soon after Brahmananda's initiation. The chanting became their lifeblood, an ecstatic experience, something they would long to replicate again and again without hesitation. The turning point was Thompson Square Park, where Swamiji again took them out to chant. This experience would change their lives forever. They went out on a Sunday when the park was crowded with people. They would eventually come to do this regularly. But that first experience was special. Swamiji would sit just behind, beside a huge elm tree and simply start chanting. According to Satsurup Das Goswami, long quote, almost all the space on the benches that lined the walkways were occupied. They were all people, mostly Ukrainians, dressed in outdated suits and sweaters. Even in the warm weather, sitting together in clans, talking. There were many children in the park also, mostly Puerto Ricans and blacks, but also fair-haired, hard-faced slum kids racing around on bikes or playing with balls and frisbees. The basketball and handball courts were mostly taken by the teenagers, and as always, there was plenty of loose running dogs. And the hippies were there, different from the others. The bearded Bohemian men and their long-haired young girlfriends dressed in old blue jeans were still an unusual sight. Even on the Lower East Side melting pot, their presence created tension. They were from middle-class families and so had not been driven to the slums by dire economic necessity. Swamiji, accompanied by half a dozen disciples, was walking the eight blocks to the park from the storefront. Brahmananda carried the harmonium and the Swami's bongo drum. Prabhupada didn't have a mridanga. He played, when you see him, he's playing this little bongo drum. Kirtananda's new shaven-headed, uh, Kirtananda, now shaven-headed at Swamiji's request and dressed in loose flowing canary yellow robes, created an extra sensation. Drivers pulled their cars over to have a look, the passengers leaning forward agape at the outrageous dress and shaved head. As the group passed the store, people inside would poke each other and indicate the spectacle. People came to the windows of their tenements, taking in the Swami and his group 
as if a parade were passing. The Puerto Rican tough guys especially couldn't resist themselves from exaggerating reactions. Hey, Buddha, they taunted. <laughs> hey, you forgot to change your pajamas. They made shrill screams as if imitating Indian war hoops they had heard in Hollywood westerns. Stepping out of his white rubber slippers, just as if he were home in the temple, Swamiji sat down on the rug <coughs> with his followers. He wore a pink sweater and around his shoulders a cutty wrapper. He smiled. Looking at his group, he indicated the rhythm by counting one, two, three. Then he began clapping his hands heavily as he continued counting one, two, three. The karatels followed, at first with wrong beats, but he kept the rhythm by clapping his hands, and then they got it. Clapping hands, clashing cymbals artlessly to a slow, steady beat. He began singing prayers that no one else knew. Vandeham Shri Gurum Shri Jatapada Kamalam Shri Gurum Vaishnavamscha. His voice was sweet like the harmonium, rich in the nuances of Bengali melody. Sitting on the rug under a large oak tree, he sang the mysterious Sankirtan pr uh, Sanskrit prayers. None of his followers knew any mantra but Hare Krishna, but they knew Swamiji, and they kept the rhythm, listening closely to him while the trucks rumbled on the street and the Congo drums pulsed in the distance. Of all the uh, ISKCON authors, Satsubaraj is a real, real author, a real uh, gifted uh, writer. Then he began the mantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. They responded too slow and muddled at first, but he returned it to them again, singing it right and triumphant. Again, they responded, gaining heart, ringing cartels, hand symbols, and clapping hands, one, two, three, one, two, three. Again, he sang it alone, and they stayed, hanging closely on each word, clapping, beating symbols, and watching him, looking back at them from his inner concentration, his old age wisdom, his bhakti, and out of love for Swamiji, they broke loose from their surroundings and joined him as a chanting, as a chanting, chanting congregation. Swamiji played his small drum, holding its strap to his left hand, bracing the drum against his body and with his right hand, playing intricate murdanga rhythms. Then Allen Ginsberg and Peter Orlovsky arrived, along with some of their friends. Allen surveyed the scene and found a seat amongst the chanters. With his black beard, his eyeglasses, his bald spots uh, surrounded by long black ringlets of hair, Allen Ginsberg, the poet, patriarch, come to join the chanting, greatly enhanced the local prestige of the kirtan. Swamiji, while continuing his ecstatic chanting and drum playing, acknowledged Alan and smiled. A reporter from the New York Times dropped by and asked Alan for an interview, but he refused. A man should not be disturbed while worshipping. The Times would have to wait. Unquote. 
As far as the event in Thompson Square Park, Brahmananda was in the thick of it. He was now a long way from Bruce Scharf. He was the Swami's body, boy. He and Achutananda, caught in the wave of the Swami's emotional chanting, got up and danced. He remembers it like this, quoting Brahmananda. In the storefront we would dance. We had the circular dance, but this was different. It was a big thing to go out in public. Still, I got up and danced, and then Achutana got up and Achutananda got up and danced too. The two of us were dancing. Swamiji writes about this in his introduction to Achutananda's songbook. So I could see that it meant something to him. Anyway, there I am. I'm dancing and I'm thinking that, how long do I do this? because you get tired after a while. So I became somewhat self-conscious, but I threw myself into it anyways. There was a huge crowd and they were all watching, so I thought that if all of a sudden I just stop and sit down, that would be kind of disrespectful to the Swami, to the mood he was creating. So I thought that I should dance as long as he sings. But the thing is, the Swami sang for one hour, then he sang for two hours, then he sang for three hours at 70 years old. Can you imagine? Without a microphone, in the open air, playing the drum. So I danced for three hours. It was his empowerment, without a doubt. Then, unbeknown to us, witnessing all of this was a reporter for the New York Times, along with one of their photographers. He took a photograph of it, the shot with Swamiji chanting, and me and Achutananda dancing. And then afterwards, he came to the temple and interviewed us. He spoke to Swamiji and then to Hayagriva. He was the most articulate one. And they published an article. The title was, Swami's Flock Chants in Park to Find Ecstasy. End quote. The reference here is to an article written by James R. Sykes, a staff reporter for the Times, who caught the essence of what the devotees were doing, and Swamiji was clearly pleased, sometimes referring to this as the beginning of his movement in the West. Prabhupada did say that sometimes, that this is when the movement started, when they went out to Thompson Square Park. Later, he would note that the Los Angeles temple marked the beginning, but this was even prior, a major accomplishment. And he noted that the Times is the most important newspaper in the world. He was impressed, he said, that his basic teaching was articulated in the article directly. Quote, repetition of the chant, Swami A.C. Bhaktivedanta says, is the best way to achieve self-realization in an age of destruction. The article also quotes Allen Ginsberg saying, it brings a state of ecstasy, and also the ecstasy of the chant or mantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare, has replaced LSD and other drugs for the Swamiji's followers. So the entire mantra was included in the article, as were the words of a renowned poet in support of Swamiji's movement. 
Finally, it gave a little of Swamiji's history, the address of the temple and the exact times the Swami would be lecturing. And all of this in one of the world's most prominent newspapers, who could ask for more. Thus, he was confident that his movement had now taken root. Ironically, at the base of a tree in Thompson Square Park. On November 18, 2001, a plaque was placed in the park in honor of the Swami who brought the Hare Krishna mo uh, movement to the West 35 years earlier. Here is the full inscription that today can still be found right near that tree. Quote, One of the Thompson Square Park's most prominent features is its collection of venerable American elm. Ulmus Americana, trees. One elm in particular located next to the semicircular arrangement of benches in the park center is important to adherents of the Hare Krishna religion. After coming to the United States in September 1965, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, uh, the Indian spiritual leader, founded the International Society for Krishna Consciousness in New York. He worked from a storefront on nearby 2nd Avenue that he used as a society's American headquarters. Prabhupada and his disciples gathered in Thompson Square Park in the fall of 1966 to introduce the East Village to the group's distinctive 16-word mantra, and then it's written out, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. On October 9, 1966, Prabhupada and his followers sat beneath this tree and held the first outdoor chanting session outside India. Participants chanted for two hours as they danced and played cymbals, tambourines, and other percussive instruments. The event, the event is recognized as the founding of the Hare Krishna religion in the United States. Prabhupada's diverse group that day included beat poet Allen Ginsberg. Krishna adherents continued to return to the tree to acknowledge its significance. Interesting, Ginsberg passed away in 97. Continuing, American elm trees are known for their towering canopies which provide abundant shade throughout spring, summer, and fall. It's rare today to find such a collection of American elms, since many of the mature elms planted across the country have been killed by Dutch elm disease. This incurable disease, a fungus carried by bark beetles, uh, which colonize on the branches of the elm tree, swept across the United States in the 1930s and remains a threat to the park's collection of elms. Despite having lost at least 34 of the trees, Thompson Square Park still hosts a large assemblage of elms, which continue to this day to enchant park patrons. The East Village Park Conservancy, a volunteer group, raises significant private funds for the ongoing care and maintenance of the American elms and other historic trees in Thompson Square Park. City of New York Parks and Recreation, Rudolph Giuliani, Mayor Henry J. Stern, Commissioner, October 2001." End quote. Swamiji always received good news coverage. 
even while in Butler, Pennsylvania, shortly after, shortly after arriving from India, the Butler Eagle turned, told of his journey and mission. Then after a brief period in New York, the Village Voice ran an article on him too. A New York Post article followed to its summer's end, along with the New York Times just mentioned in the fall. The East Village other followed soon thereafter. And this was just the beginning. Um, yes, Srila Prabhupada. Srila Prabhupada was, uh, I could say, was sort of easily impressed uh, in that, uh, you know, you have to see this picture that really from 57 to 65, for eight years, Prabhupada's absolutely penniless. There's not many money. He's, uh, he's just used to really just living in whatever Krishna provides. And uh, so he has nothing. And now he comes to America and Prabhupada's first expectation was, I'm going to come for two months. Guru Maharaj wanted it, and then I'll go back. But he keeps postponing the two months going back. And, uh, and then after a year, he starts to, he has a place, he has an apartment, he has, for the first time, he has people he actually has regular people to take care of him. There's no one really to take care of Srila Prabhupada. Sometimes when he went to a uh, specific place, then there, just like when he was uh, down in Mumbai and he was staying at the Singhya colony where the workers were for the ship lines, there some of the locals were sort of cared after him, but uh, yeah, Srila Prabhupada was, uh, was, was really under sort of hard times, so his expectations were really low. And uh, Prabhupada would say about many things that he never imagined. He never imagined Krishna consciousness movement would spread like this. He never imagined uh, that, you know, all the books would be distributed in such quantity. So, and certain things like here, and Prabhupada really remembered certain as this is when the Krishna consciousness movement started in terms of Nam Sankirtan. Then the reference was made to Los Angeles. It was because it was first place that was permanent place that was owned by us. Although we had Bury Place, but Bury Place still was uh, that time a rented place, and you know they were working so hard to get us out of there, uh, the local council. So there was no, every place was rented. This was the first property owned by the society, installed large deities. So in that sense, in the sense of, you could say, Pancha Trikividi, that was the beginning in the sense of Bhagavatvidi, uh, then this Thompson Square Park that, 
Yagyaisan Kirtana Prayer, you don't that you take that Sakitan Yagya out. Or when uh, in nineteen seventy seven that New York New York High Court uh, judge uh, of New York, he they passed this uh, decision. Uh, that the decision of the court uh, this was against brainwashing. They just threw the whole charge of brainwashing out, and uh, the judge declared that the Krishna consciousness movement is a bona fide religion. So when Prabhupada heard that, he said. Now my movement is a success. So you don't have any tila. Huh? It comes off, but that's why on a general basis devotees check the tila, because it comes off. So Prabhupada took certain things as very significant. Uh, Significant from one point, as I mentioned, where he was coming from. Significant in another way is that Prabhupada had a different spiritual vision. And just like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when, uh, you know, when there was the big uh, revolt against Chantkazi, that was really a major turning point and the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement was now not just going to be in the home of uh, Shiva's Thakur, but it was going to go all over Mayapur and then all over India, and so it was also a real uh, turning point. So Prabhupada marked, marked certain events uh, in terms of their significance. And uh, we can also really consider that uh, in our lives there will be certain major turning points that mark uh, major events. And in one sense recognizing them is really quite important uh, because that means that your life has just gone in a different direction or it's confirmed your direction, or it accelerated it, or... Um, Prabhupada was always very astute. He would... Uh, so, you know, he would take very small things, and uh, he, he would really draw significant consequence out of it. Like, for instance, uh, after the Hells Angels, uh, came and shot up New Vrindavan. Then uh, Srila Prabhupada wrote to Kirtananda Swami in some writing, it's a letter. He says, uh, you are like a great Raja Rishi. You are on the same level as Maharaj Yudhisthira. You know, Prabhupada would say things like that about it. Just like, same level as Maharaj Yudhisthira. Uh, you know, Tripurari Maharaj, who was really the one who kick-started uh, big book distribution. Prabhupada said, you are the incarnation of book distribution. 
when Prabhupada said something like that, you know, everybody considered, you know, is he a Shaktavesh or is he fully empowered? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And uh, Prabhupada said other things. Um, you know, Madhudvisa, he said, Madhudvisa is the king of Kirtan, Sankirtan. So Srila Prabhupada uh, really appreciated and he didn't, he didn't hesitate to really elevate his uh, followers uh, in, in a uh, lofty position uh, for their achieved uh, service. And uh, I, th I think I was talking to Niranjan Maharaj, but it was, uh, maybe it was Govinda Maharaj, when uh, Prabhupada was in Montreal, which may have been 75, probably 76, uh, Toronto, Toronto. At that time, I was already in Winnipeg, but it was in Toronto. And then Srila Prabhupada, uh, uh, we had just uh, sort of finalized uh, the a purchase of the Detroit property had been finalized, and uh, so uh, Prabhupada asked about the temple president. He asked Satsumaraj. He says, where is, uh, where is Govardhan? Satsut Maharaj says, well, we, we removed him as temple president. The Prabhupada says, why? Well, he wasn't fit. He says, why wasn't he fit? He says, well, Prabhupada, he wasn't coming to the morning program. He admitted he wasn't chanting 16 rounds. So how, how could he be temple president? Prabhupada said, how do I know you're chanting 16 rounds? At least he's honest. <laughs> he said he found, he found this building. He gives such a great, he did such a great service, you have to reward him. He says immediately bring him back and make him president. And tell him to chant his rounds. So, uh, yeah, Prabhupada would, he would recognize service and he, he would really, uh, really want to reward it. And in no small measure, uh, in 1976, there was the uh, Radha Damodar Grihasta Wars. And uh, so, I mean, was distributing like phenomenal hundred thousand books a month, big books, more big books, and uh, and they were like, you know. Challenging everybody, and uh, it was uh, it was a very uh, wonderful time. Uh, but still, there was uh, you know, the history was that they would travel around. It was just brahmacharis and sannyasis, Tamal Krishna Maharaj, Vishnu Maharaj, some others 
sort of came and went, but they were the permanent ones. And uh, they were preaching to the temples, to the brabbitaries that, you know, uh, you shouldn't uh, associate with grihastas, you're going to fall down, you got to come and uh, move in the, uh, uh, come with Radha Damodar and just travel and preach. And uh, and then they also had actually, it was quite, uh, they had even a proposal that they wanted to suggest that since women were Maya, all the women in Iskon should be shipped over to Australia. <laughs> so that the rest of, uh, so that the rest of uh, Iskon could remain women free. Uh, and uh, so this was all going on and then of course the uh, Grihastas, who were mostly all the temple presidents were Grihastas. Uh, the, the Grihastas were coming and Prabhupada was at the center hearing this argument and that argument. And uh, someone brought in a, uh, a book mark that was, uh, I don't know, uh, embroidered by one of the Madhajis. So Prabhupada she has all these sannyasis sitting around and grihastas and, and Prabhupada takes the bookmark and he says, this is so beautiful. He says, so much devotion went into this. He says, how can I reject somebody who offers so much, uh, something with so much devotion? And uh, that was the only time I ever heard Prabhupada bring up a topical, political, issue in Bhagavatam class. He didn't directly address it, but he quoted Kibabitpa Kibashu Nyasuke in Inoy. And uh, that he said it doesn't matter whether you're a Grihasta, it doesn't matter whether you're a sannyasi. Uh, these are material material designations and shouldn't make spiritual uh, judgment on the basis of material designations. Bhaktivinoda Thakur, Srila Vyasadeva, Krishna, uh, the Grihastas. What to speak of all the Lord Chaitanya's associates. So, yes, Prabhupada was both very appreciative and uh, very, uh, very rewarding. We wanted to reward one other devotee whose name I won't mention. Uh, he he was sort of a whatever he did was ended up in controversy, and he. Uh, he was a sannyasi, he was one, one of her very early disciples. And uh, even at uh, earlier on, I don't know, 76 or something like that, Prabhupada had said, which was very interesting because this was just, uh, you know, from Prabhupada's own spiritual vision, he made this statement that he's praying to Krishna for me to die 
so that he can become guru. When Prabhupada just pulled this out of the, it wasn't that he got the, he heard anything, it was just Prabhupada said it. So that same person, uh, Prabhupada then sent, uh, sent them sort of off into semi-exile into Sri Lanka. And he went to Sri Lanka, he's very, very successful preaching there. Uh, interestingly enough, Prabhupada called for two people to sing for him uh, that he really liked. One was this sannyasi and the other one was Bharadvaj, who, uh, who was the artist. He was like the, the top artist. And uh, he, would, he would draw paintings without first actually doing a layout plan. He would just go from scratch. Uh, well, I haven't finished the story. So Swami got into a debate with a university professor, a uh, evolutionist, supporter of Darwin's evolution, and so on. And they debated both in correspondence and back and forth, and finally uh, this Swami challenged the scientists. He said, uh, since he says that matter comes from life, then we challenge him to come, we invite him to come to uh, such and such a hall we're having program and he should tell us what ingredients he wants and we will give him any ingredient he wants and he has to make a fly since matter comes from life, so make one. And of course the professor didn't, and Prabhupada was so pleased by this preaching Specifically, in the last year, Prabhupada's emphasis was on preaching against Darwinian evolution, scientific theories, and so on. So, when it was time for appointing gurus, and Prabhupada appointed gurus, so when it was time, and he chose the 11 gurus, he joined this devotee. He, he called, said his name, Tamar Krishna said, this is the same person who's praying for you to die. And Prabhupada just said, but he's doing very wonderful preaching. He says, so can't I reward a service? So Prabhupada was like that. He was very, very big-hearted, and he was willing to give devotees a chance. Uh, and there are many examples like that of uh, Prabhupada, some devotee who'd fallen down, done something very abominable, and Prabhupada will welcome back and then give him a position. That was usually one of Prabhupada's uh, practices, uh, is that even someone whose heart to control or perhaps even inimical 
He says, you give your enemy a position, you bring him near you. Mm -hmm. So Prabhupada would do that. He, he would say, gave some really questionable people position like GBC and so on, just to like keep him under his eye. Okay. Okay, a few more minutes. Chapter number three, a happening on the Lower East Side. This was like, you know, a, it's a happening. Happening means, you know, means it's happening. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a party, it's a festival, uh, it's uh, something that's uh, really happening. It's interesting, just like nowadays, uh, the word, you know, cool has come back into uh, use, right? People use it like, you know, wow, that's really cool. That's really interesting because that was, you know, 50 years back, cool was an in word. And then it became really, really corny. <laughs> and now it, you know, came back again, resurgence. Swamiji witnessed his small movement coming together, growing, taking shape with new boys and girls showing interest on an almost daily basis. He knew that his own teacher's mission, the Gaudiamat, was able to grow because of organizational structure and the appointment of official personnel. He saw this too with the Ramakrishna mission in Calcutta. It seemed clear to him for the movement to expand, it would need to adopt the formal configuration of an institution. The first temple president. It's one of the things that uh, I don't think that uh, devotees get education in and training in is in ISKCON structure and what Prabhupada said about ISKCON's management, which is quite important. Uh, it's very important. It defines ISKCON, tells how ISKCON runs, how our, what our role and so on is. So. Uh, if devotees scour, not so much bo books, but if uh, diaries or uh, the biography, and then uh, actually Prabhupada's, Prabhupada's conversations are good for that and so on. Uh, you'll find end letters, stuff about management and administration. First temple president, one day he turned to Brahmananda and said, now we want to make officers, president, secretary, and treasurer. So who do you think should be elected? Brahmananda answered that Satsurub would make a good secretary and Gargamuni would excel as treasurer. He further recommended Roy Ram as president. No, said Swamiji, I want you to be the president. What did this mean? Brahmananda had to oversee all temple affairs. He had to be mindful of the devotee's well-being, and he had to make sure that everything went on without interference. Prabhupada wanted things to be simple. Generally, Prabhupada's idea was that if things are too complex, they become too taxing, and that's not good for spiritual practice. Um, so, 
uh, yeah, uh, he he wanted simple solutions. Uh, he, you know, he, he told the GBC that they should meet. You know, one day they should finish everything, uh, or you know, then there was three days. Papa didn't want us to meet. You know, even Sanyasi's got together to have a meeting. Uh, Prabhupada uh, called called him and he said, "Why do you have to meet? Why is there a meeting? Why you, what did he want us to do? Chant Hare Krishna and uh, read." He said, "Why are you meeting? Why you spend your time in management?" And for Prabhupada's vision that a manager or temple president was a preacher, he was the person who wasn't at the desk. He was the person who was out leading everybody and others could be sitting at the desk. But when Swamiji appointed me as temple president, I took it as a challenge, remembers Brahmananda. He inspired me to do it, even though I felt somewhat unworthy next to my elder and senior godbrothers. But I knew that he would bless me and teach me how to perform each task properly. I had full faith in his decision. Brahmananda reflects on his early duties as president, quote, A typical day would begin around 7 in the morning with Kirtan in class. Devotees didn't get up till like 6. Swamiji would teach us the Bhagavatam, carrying down the brown book. It had all the major Bhagavatam commentaries in it, and he would speak from that. Then one day he brought down a red book, a large, thick red book. And everybody was wondering, what's this red book? So he said, today we will read the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Then that became the standard for a while. I remember that there was a radiator there in the storefront. In the wintertime, around November, December, it gets cold. Whoever would sit next to the radiator, he'd fall asleep. <laughs> there was no way devotees could sit near radiators in the... It was like one of the no-nos. Anybody who even comes close to a radiator is obviously a Maya. You could, <laughs> as close as you are to a radiator, that's how much a Maya you are. <laughs> Everyone would know, don't sit too close to a radiator. But outside of that, life was not very complicated. As ta temple president, I merely had to assist Swamiji in every way I could, which usually amounted to minor chores. Unquote, because Prabhupada was the president. This was a simple time, even as the movement began to grow. Every day after morning services, there was a light breakfast. Kirtananda, who had been trained by Swamiji, prepared opulent oatmeal for all the devotees. Brahmananda, in his capacity as temple president, would tend to Swamiji's needs and make sure that all the attendees were satisfied and had enough to eat. Whatever we did, Prabhupada said, and then it was an inter international standard. Everyone ate the same thing. So breakfast means oatmeal or some kind of cereal porridge or something like that. Three pieces of fruit, banana, apple, orange, eight chickpeas, soaked in eight chickpeas, a piece of ginger, and uh, 
Why? Because this is what Prabhupada said, and then so that was that was it. That's what rice doll, sabji chapatis. This was daily fare. Uh, either yeah, lunchtime. When I joined, we were going out in the morning. We didn't like that first schedule. Go out in the morning and chant Hare Krishna from like ten to one. Then we'd come back. Oh, the temple's downtown. It's twenty minutes from anywhere downtown. And come back to the temple, and we'd have prasadam. And uh, we ate a lot. I mean, we ate a lot. And uh, have prasadam. And that was the tough part. Then, then we went out, and that was actually the beginning, door to door. And uh, that lunchtime meeting was either either you rest after, but murder. And then uh, we would go out till like I don't know six thirty seven, and then we would come back to the temple, Gore Arti, Bhagavad Gita class, and was evening, one banana, one half liter of hot milk, hot, and then whatever, if there was maha, then it was uh, served out, but usually it was just milk and uh, one banana, or if there was a lot, sometimes of two bananas. So, and what did we eat off of? We ate off of uh, wax paper square piece of wax paper that was the plate of course you, then you threw that threw that away there was no such thing as paper plates or if they were they were too expensive so those yeah those were the days when we didn't have money afterwards he would leave for work and return by 4 p.m. at which time he would bring Swamiji's mail to him and serve as his secretary, taking dictation for correspondence and discussing various subjects about the practical day-to-day -day concerns of the fledgling movement. Swamiji would then tell him to take prasadam in the next room, whereupon the young Brahmananda would dutifully and enthusiastically consume his lunch, a plate of prasadam that Kirtananda had saved from him from earlier in the day. There was no such thing as heating. Prasadam, what to speak of heating maha? I mean, that's everyone knew that was uh, offensive. You don't heat maha, maha. You just take as is. You know, heat it up. Um, there were times when Swamiji would not tell me to take prasadam, said Brahmananda, and I would go hungry until evening. I later learned that this was indeed the etiquette. The disciple does not take prasadam until he is invited to do so by the guru. Swamiji was happy that I intuitively knew this. After some time, Brahmananda would also lead Kirtan in the park and oversee all expenditures, even to the point of signing checks, under Swamiji's direction, of course. He would settle disputes between devotees as well and act as a quote-unquote bouncer whenever necessary. He remembers one instance in particular, quote, 
Once while Swamiji was giving a lecture, some neighborhood boys, kids, were making noise right outside the storefront. They were talking loudly, deliberately shouting and then laughing. It was disturbing the whole lecture. So I went out and told them to stop. I made a gesture to come after them and they ran away. So I went back in hoping that that would be the end of it. But they returned, creating an even louder disturbance. So I actually ran out after them. Finally, I caught up with them around the corner and gave them a good shaking. In the end, they walked away upset. Later that night, they came back and threw bricks at the front window of the storefront. It was a big window, not like now, a full-length window, very expensive. We couldn't afford to replace it. So it was a big shock, and I got upset. In fact, I was crying, so ashamed that I got angry at these kids. And as a result, look what happened. I told Swamiji, and he didn't say anything. He just came down in the morning to give the class as usual. But then he looked at the broken window, and he held his uh, head up in his distinct way, as if to say that he was disgusted by the whole thing. Then he said very sternly, as soon as the chanting stops, Maya comes. Then he looked right at me, and I understood. If Swami had indicated that he was disturbed by the boys, or if he said, quiet them down, then I would have been justified. But he wasn't disturbed by it at all. I was disturbed. That's the difference. So I wasn't defending Swamiji by going after them. I was defending myself, my ego. It was an important lesson for me. Unquote. As soon as the chanting stops, Maya comes. This would be something that Swamiji would repeat again and again. It was something his guru, Srila Bhaktisanta Saraswati Thakur, taught him. The safest place in the material world is in the kirtan of the holy name. The reason is simple. All the senses are engaged in the chanting. Maya has nowhere to sneak in. Hare Krishna. Jai Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai Jai Brahmananda Prabhu Ki Jai Jai Nithai Gaur Premanandi Hari Hari Bhav